Welcome to another special edition of the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Kate Calusiestes, one of the pastors on staff. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open and affirming congregation. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our messages, we hope that you will find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your journey of faith. We invite you to listen with us now. Two Sundays ago, we heard probably the most famous example of the Gospel of Mark's proclivity for sandwiching together two stories. You may remember the woman with the chronic hemorrhage who is healed just by touching Jesus' cloak, and how her story is sandwiched within the story of Jesus bringing Jairus' little daughter back from death. Two miraculous healings sandwiched together to reveal the connections between them. Today, we are smack in the middle of a less famous sandwich of stories. Kate began it last Sunday as Jesus sent out his disciples in his name to further his ministry. And next week, she'll wrap it up as they all regather to share their experiences. But smack in the middle of Jesus and his friends becoming famous due to Jesus' miraculous powers, smack in the middle of that story is today's text. Telling it as a flashback, Mark surely meant his audience to hear this horrifying tale as a hard truth about what discipleship might actually cost them. Now, we contemporary American Christians don't face the perils of persecution suggested here, but the story can help us ponder other risks, as well as the hope that saves us. A few blocks away from where we live is a nature preserve that I get to walk through on my daily walk just about every day. It's about 30 acres of wooded land and includes the confluence of two creeks. And in the streams, in the the waters of the larger stream, occasionally, if you're really lucky, you'll find an arrowhead. Or as my sons have corrected me repeatedly, a projectile point. More commonly, you'll find potsherds. These are broken pieces of pottery, and the curvilinear designs embossed on them is the signature of a tribe that historians call the Swift Creek people. They were ancestors of the Cherokee, and they lived in this area 12 to 1,500 years ago. Now, when you find these potsherds in the stream bed, it's almost always laying concave side up. The hydraulics of the, of the creek just flip it that way. And so what you're looking at is the concave side. Now the concave side obviously is the interior of the pot, and so obviously it is undecorated. And so you have to bend down and pick it up, at which point you often realize that it's actually just a piece of rock or even a dead leaf. But if it is a piece of pottery, you can then turn it over and see if there's any patterning. But sometimes, rarely, the hydraulics have failed to flip the shard over. And so what's facing upward is the artistry of some long-ago potter. It's astonishing. I mean, it's, it's always amazing to find an ancient bit of pottery. 
but when what catches your eye from yards away is the plain-as-day evidence of another human just waiting there in the water. Oh, it's electrifying, this jolt of recognition. It's such a remarkable experience that I have warehoused that image in my mind for years now, knowing that someday it would come in handy for a sermon. <laughs> I confess I always expected it would be something beautiful, like the unmistakable movement of the Holy Spirit or the undeniably clear call of God. And so I am not proud to say that instead that jolt of recognition came when I was reading about King Herod. There in verse 20, when Mark reports, Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was righteous and holy man, and Herod protected him. And when he heard John, Herod was greatly perplexed and yet he liked to listen to him. I wonder if I'm the only one who feels a jolt of recognition there because how Herod feels and thinks and acts regarding John. Herod's afraid of John. He knows he's righteous and holy. He protects him, albeit in prison. And hearing John greatly perplexes him, but Herod wants to listen to him anyway. That is uncomfortably close to how I feel and think and act toward Jesus. Maybe I'm not exactly afraid of Jesus, but I'm pretty leery of him a lot of times. And I'd certainly say that Jesus is absolutely righteous and holy, and I've probably imagined myself protecting him at some point. Jesus most definitely perplexes me, and yet I do try to keep listening to him. And like Herod, ultimately forsaking John, there are times I behave in ways that forsake Jesus. If any of this is ringing a bell for any of you, I invite you to raise your hand, whether in person or online. That jolt of recognition, as I read verse 20, was so pointed that it made me look at the whole scene more closely. And I've reached the horrifying conclusion that for me, and I see for some of you too, for us, Herod is something of a role model. This is the man whose father, Herod the Great, is alleged to have slaughtered baby boys in Bethlehem in an effort to eliminate the infant whom the three magi called King of the Jews. And while there's no independent verification of that, the historical record does show that Herod Sr. murdered one of his wives and three of his sons. The surviving son in today's text married his sister-in-law, who was also his niece. Now, in none of this extreme stuff is Herod our role model. But stay with me. Herod is self-indulgent. If he wants something or someone, he doesn't deny himself. He might be our role model there. I mean, instead of denying ourselves, this summer, which climatologists say will probably be the hottest in history and the coolest for the rest of our lifetimes, this summer, 
we will crank up the AC even as it destroys the atmosphere and climb aboard carbon-spewing airplanes for our vacationing pleasure. So, that's so Herod. And Herod is focused on his image, even willing to behead John rather than look foolish in public. And while we wouldn't take it that far, we can care too much about what people think of us, sacrificing what we know is right for what is popular or easy. Herod might be our role model there. And as this story has moved through history, I have to imagine Herod only too ready to let his wife and stepdaughter take the blame, even though he is the only one who has any real power here. So yeah, I think Herod might be our role model in modern misogyny too. As prominent New Testament scholar Matthew Skinner puts it, Herod represents a culture fueled by power and privilege that will do anything to extend its capacity to pursue its own desires, hold on to power, trumpet its own self-importance, eliminate criticism, and resist the justice and peace that God longs to bring to fruition, which sounds to me exactly like white so-called supremacy. A culture fueled by power and privilege that will do anything to extend its capacity to pursue its own desires and hold on to power? Sure, just make it hard for your opponents to vote. Trumpet its own self-importance and eliminate criticism? Well, we certainly can't have people teaching the truth about slavery. Resist the justice and peace that God longs to bring to fruition. One approach would be to maintain the monuments idols to those who worked against God's justice and peace for all people? Herod the role model. When I indulge in displays of power or prestige to impress people, Herod is my role model. When I enjoy my privilege with no thought about its impact on other living creatures, Herod is my role model when I choose cowardice over caring, expedience over integrity, self over others, worldly priorities over God's priorities, then Herod is my role model. And let me just say, I'm not a spectacularly horrible person. <laughs> I mean, I, I support local businesses and I drive a Nissan Leaf. <laughs> so if ordinarily decent people like me and you are at risk of having Herod as a role model, then where do we find the hope of the good news? Well, first, although Herod may have liked to listen to John proclaim the word of God, Herod clearly did not receive the word in order to be transformed by it. And we, I believe, are being transformed and are thus empowered to resist, to even push back against Herod's choices. And that's good, because if we look again at these sandwiched stories, we notice that Mark tells of Jesus sending his disciples into the world, empowering them to teach and heal and cast out evil and to shake the dust off their feet, as Kate preached last week, because 
as this ghastly little flashback makes clear, the world into which Jesus' disciples are called to go then and now is a world in which Herod is too often a role model. But this little flashback is followed by the rest of the story sandwich as the disciples regather to share with one another and with Jesus how they have fared in his mission, which is their mission, which is our mission, a mission of help and healing, justice and joy, antidotes to Herod's way. Surely that is good news. God sends us out into a world where Herod's choices surround us, but we are not doomed to follow that way. We are transformed by God's grace. We carry Jesus' message of love, justice, reconciliation into that world where it is mightily needed. And then we return to gather together with Christ. Like those first disciples, we can gather with one another and with the one who is our Lord. We can consider and confess, lament and repent of the times when Herod has been our role model. And we will be forgiven and fortified and reminded of the promising vision that is God's big story. Because all of these stories are sandwiched within that big story, the big story that includes the ultimately redemptive turning point which this little story foreshadows. You know it. A holy and righteous man who proclaimed the word of God is unjustly executed by a feckless ruler for the sake of political expedience. And his disciples retrieve his abused body and place it in a tomb. Church, we know the big story of Jesus the Christ, within which is sandwiched the lesser story of John the baptizer. We know what happens in that big story after that body is laid in the tomb. God resurrects Jesus, vindicating Jesus' way, which is the antithesis of Herod's way. Herod may loom as our role model, but we can see beyond Herod because we know the end of the story. Herod's ways will not prevail against God's ways. Amen? We are called by John and then by Jesus to repent of the ways of Herod and to seek always and everywhere the inbreaking ways of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. And please visit our website, covpresatl.org, for more information as well as our full archive of recorded services to learn more about us and to get in touch with us. We wish you well in these times of upheaval. Grace and peace to you.